Okay. Anyway. Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. <laughs> I'm Tasha. <laughs> We're on season six, episode 11, Contagious. Mm. When she says the word contagious at the end, I was like, the reason why they didn't say hysteria is because it would be too obvious that the guy wasn't guilty anymore. Oh. Because I was like, they should have just called it hysteria because they said hysteria so many times. Right. I know. It, She's like, it's contagious. <laughs> and then it spreads and 28 days later, everybody's just fucked. You're either running for your life or you're a crazy sprinter zombie. <laughs> they weren't zombies. They were infected with rage. So I just want to clear that I up know right they away. Were infe- I, I know that. Yeah, just, you know. Okay. Opening scene. There are a bunch of ambulances an EMS person is admitting a patient with injuries from a car accident. A drunk driver T-boned their car, a man, woman, and their daughter. And they're unloading everybody out of these ambulances. So the little girl is nine years old. Her name is Holly. She's got a fucking wicked bump on her head, but is awake. And she says that she has a lot of pain in her tummy. I immediately was like, is she pregnant? Oh, God. That was my first thought. Yeah. So in the hospital, they're looking at an x-ray. Somehow she has no injuries. She tells the doctor that her stomach hurts and he says it's probably from the seatbelt. So the doctor wants to take off her clothing to do an exam and she loses it and starts kicking and screaming. She's like, you're not doing that. So the doctor tries to calm her down and he's like, hey, just get some rest. I'm going to go check on your parents and then whispers to the nurse to page the shrink on call. Later, Dr. Hendrick shows up. Remember, she's the lady from the other episode where Benson was like, why don't you just fuck her stabler? Pretty much. she's <laughs> And they were like, rare. Yeah. She's itchy from fried green tomatoes. Yes. She comes and speaks with Holly. Holly's child actor, Jeanette McCurdy, she had a huge role in iCarly and the spinoff Sam and Cat. So if you're one of those Disney kids, Mm. basically she was like Miley Cyrus and fucking, what's her name? Ariana Grande. What's her name? Like in those kind of shows. I forgot Ariana Grande was in on the Disney. Man, they churn out like pop queens, man. Oh, I know. Fucking Britney. Justin Timberlake was on there, too. Uh Uh-huh. Christina Aguilera. Holy shit. Okay. She tells Holly that she can see her parents when they're out of surgery. Holly does not want that other doctor to take her pants off. And Hendrix tells her that she'll get a girl doctor to do the exam and that she'll stay with her the whole time. And Holly agrees to it. And Holly's like, girl doctor? (laughs) What? That's ridiculous. (laughs) What is this? What is this, the future? What is this, bizarro world? This is the year 3000? (laughs) Women can't have jobs. (laughs) What's her husband going to eat for dinner? (laughs) So this other doctor examines Holly and tells her that she's totally fine and her stomach is fine. At the door, the examining doctor whispers to Hendrix that Holly has 100% been abused. So Hendrix is going to call SVU. Theme song. At the hospital, Hendrix updates Benson Stabler. Since Holly tried to kick the male doctor earlier, Hendrix asked for that lady doctor, the one that wasn't making her husband dinner. She's actually a pediatric sex abuse specialist. Ridiculous. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> Women just want everything, don't they? You're going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> yeah. That a woman is carrying. A woman is carrying that handbasket. Men don't carry handbaskets. <laughs> She found scarring and some bruising and stuff. They didn't do a rape kit Mm -hmm. because Holly was too upset to do an internal exam. They're waiting for parental consent for the pelvic exam, though. Stapler thinks that it shouldn't be a problem. Her parents would want to know if their kid was abused. Benson's like, dude, um, Mm -hmm. you'd want doctors to do a gynecological exam on your nine-year-old without asking you? Like, mom and dad are both being examined and shit. 
whatever what was going on with them surgery oh yeah they were in surgery they were in surgery yeah together they were holding hands they were getting surgery the way you and i would get surgery (laughs) yeah i'd be like even if i didn't need it i would go with you and i'd be like sedate (laughs) me as well velcro our hands together because you know they get like really flabbity i see in my mind they were um wrapped with a bandana like in when michael jackson was like street fighting with that guy with a knife (laughs) in the video yeah me and jesse tried to recreate that and almost broke our rules it was terrible (laughs) turns out you gotta you gotta know some you gotta know how to dance i guess So Benson's worried about how Holly's going to react to a rape kit because she freaked out just by having an exam and a speculum would absolutely like make her lose her mind, you know? Right. Of course. Yeah. Hendrix says that they can sedate her, but if they aren't covered legally, it could be trouble. Plus, there are risks with anesthesia and stuff. Mm-hmm. So Stabler's going to call Novak. He's really pushing this. He it's is. kid stuff. You, you know? know? Yeah. yeah. It's kid stuff. But also I'm like, it's funny how Stabler's okay with overriding female body autonomy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Benny's like, well, I don't know. It's kind of invasive and she's whatever. And he's like, we're not waiting for the parents. I'm a dad. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I can make that call. I'm a dad of all children. <laughs> Father, son, holy ghost, Stabler. That's actually the... Uh, <sighs> It was a trinity, but it's like a quaternity. (laughs) Okay, anyway. A little bit later, Novak shows up. She gets approval for the exam by the court. Hendrix is going to go talk to Holly's parents when they get out of surgery and try to explain why they couldn't wait. And this all seems so dicey. It is dicey. I mean, I get why they have to, the clock is ticking, but at the same time, yeah, it's a little girl in her body who's been violated. Stabler says that he'll be present with her and break the news to Holly about the exam. I don't know why he fucking volunteered. She's obviously afraid of fucking men. And by the look of Benson's face, she doesn't really like it either. She's just kind of like, hmm. I don't like any of this. But I'll allow it. Yeah. He's a dad after all. He's a dad. He's uh Do we just stop making the dad joke because it's so present? No. no. Okay. It's the that's what she said of um our podcast now. <laughs> it is. We're ruining it. <laughs> Okay. In the exam room, Dr. Hendricks takes Stabes in to see Holly. Stabler lets Holly know they caught the guy that hit their car, but I'm pretty sure he said that to make her think that's the copping he was there for so that he could slip in and ask her some Mm -hmm. questions. So she's like, oh, good. Thanks, cop. They need to put in her IV to sedate her. So Stabler supports her and offers his hand to squeeze if it hurts. He makes a little small talk with her as they're, you know, just the way you would comfort a kid. Oh, I'm a dad. I have kids. My kids have a dad. It's me, actually. (laughs) Then he tells Holly to let the doctor know if she needs him and he'll come back. It's actually really sweet. Mm -hmm. I'll come running right back. While he was in there, Kathy called and he was like, oh, my God, what? (laughs) Just kidding. They do Holly's exam, cut to a post-exam walk and talk with Hendrix, Benny, and Stabes. Hendrix gives them the results. Holly was released to her grandparents, and she did well. But Holly shows clear signs of sexual abuse. They need to go talk to Holly's dad, who's out of recovery. Benny and Stabes go to chat with Holly's dad, Larry Purcell. He was an Oz, scent of a woman. Michael Clayton, but his most championed role, I believe, is one of his most recent. Pickleball is life. Deal with it. (sighs) The surge of pickleball. I know. I was just thinking. Yeah, It makes me irrationally annoyed. I'm just like, of course you play pickleball. Of course you're over 40 and you play pickleball. What is it? I even Is it fun? I don't know. It's probably fun. My father-in-law plays it a lot. And you know what? It's really good for his health. So like, I don't know why I'm like, ugh, fucking pickleball. Pickleball is the owl necklaces of 2012. <laughs> That was fucking awesome. (laughs) Thanks. 
So they go in to talk to Larry. He thinks they're there to speak with him about the accident. And Benson tells him they're really there about Holly's exam and the signs of abuse that they that they have evidence of. Larry is stunned and asks if Holly told them that she was abused. Benny fills him in that Holly actually had a gyno exam and they found physical evidence. He flips out that they did that without parental consent. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would know. I would be like, oh, there was whatever injuries and they had to do this part. I don't know. Ignorance, I guess. I wouldn't I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. He tells them the injuries they found were from when Holly fell off her bike and, quote, hurt herself between her legs. Don't believe me? Ask a doctor. So later, the exam info comes from Holly's alleged bike accident. It's faxed in because it's 2005. They would probably still fax it. You just email it. Oh, maybe they would. Attachment. Attach. They just text it. Attach. Attach. I don't know what you're doing. Instead of enhance. Okay. Oh. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the bike pedal caused the injuries, but the report doesn't mention the tear to Holly's hymen and the tear is not healed. So it could have happened within the last week. It probably happened within the last week. Mm. The tear for sure is not two weeks old. Stabler thinks that they did the gynecological exam for nothing. Hendricks thinks Holly needs to talk to Benson based on how scared she was. Stabler's like, well, I was creating a rapport with Holly. But still, Hendricks thinks Holly talking to a woman about her body is the best idea. Yeah, it's an interesting take. I mean, I guess his ego kind of comes into everything. But your first instinct is to be like, should she talk to a woman? Maybe she should probably talk to a woman. And then if she's a little like, oh, man, I don't feel comfortable with you. He could be like, hey, I've created a rapport with her. Maybe I could try. You know what I mean? Yeah. The default should be talk to a woman about her body. Yeah. She's going to want to talk. It's like, he's just being weird. I don't know. So Hendrix is a little worried that the father is the abuser, but Stabler doesn't think so. He told them about the bike accident and let the doctors do the exams on Holly. Mm-hmm. Hendrix wants Benson to wear an earpiece and for the dad to listen in and tell them if Holly's being truthful or not. Hendrix is on top of her shit as per usual. And her and Benson aren't really beefing anymore, it seems like. No, I wonder that a conversation probably happened off camera but <laughs> i i don't like the earpiece thing feels like hey let's do a detective thing i don't would a doctor do that i don't know i'm really picking this episode apart it's fine this is how we're going to move the story along okay now we're in an interview room at the Child Advocacy Center. Benson is talking to Holly. Holly's dad, Hendrix, and Stabler are in a different room listening in. Benson's talking to her like a kid because she is, and that's what makes sense. <laughs> she asks her about what she likes to do for fun, you know, like kid stuff. Mm-hmm. She likes video games and riding her bike with her dad. Benson asks about the last bike ride she had with her dad. Holly says that they stopped riding because her mom says it's too cold out. And then that cuts to the dad. He's like, that's a fucking lie. No, he just says, <laughs> <laughs> he just says, we didn't say that. It's because she needed time to heal from the accident. Hendrix tells Benson to kind of keep pushing about the bike. So Benson asks about the accident. Holly only mentions her knee scrape. She said that it was bleeding pretty bad. And then dad is like, oh, man, it was barely a scratch. Why Why is she being weird? Mm-hmm. Benson asks her about the other injuries. Holly kind of gets shy and tells her that she was hurt in between her legs. And she says that she doesn't really remember it. Dad doesn't understand why she's not talking about it. She did what it happened. So Hendrix is like, you know what, Benson, just fucking go for it. Yeah. Benson tells Holly that she talked to the doctor about her being hurt between her legs and that it wasn't from the bike. And the music gets all swelly and Holly starts to cry. Mm. 
She says it's because he will hurt her. He touched her between her legs and he made her touch him. She does not want to tell Benson the guy's name. The man has a gun and showed it to her, then threatened to shoot her just like he shot that girl in the park. Mm. We're like, what? At the precinct, the squad's going over the case details. The other girl that was shot in Flushing Meadow Park was eight years old. Her name is Laura Swift. She disappeared last May from a school park outing and was never found. The only evidence they found was some blood splatter in a shell casing. Craigan mm-hmm. says, quote, the garden variety pedophile would never kill their victim. This guy is a violent child molester. Hendricks thinks since the dude is still out there, they probably won't get much more info from Holly. Mm-hmm. But Benson is like, when Holly is confronted with facts, she tells the truth. But they're out of facts right now, and Laura Swift's case has gone cold. Hendrix wants them to be really careful with Holly because she could have a psychotic break if they push her too hard. She thinks she knows what they can try next. Back at Bellevue, we're in Sonia Purcell's room now, Holly's mom. Dad Larry is also there. Hendrix tells the Purcells that she wants to do a deeper psych eval, like a therapy session that will help Holly open up. She wants to use projective techniques, nothing super direct. Projective techniques are like drawing, so they're not asking her Mm -hmm. specific questions that could be triggering. It gives her a safe space to open up, something they do with kids often. Dad Larry really doesn't like all the pressure being put on Holly right now, but Benson says it's not not talking with cops and doctors that's the problem. It's that she can't feel safe because her abuser is still out there. Benny's over the hesitation and lets them know this shit is for real. The guy told Holly he killed Laura Swift. They gotta get going on this. Larry wants to be sure it won't harm Holly and Hendrix says she'll stop if it seems to be causing her harm. Mm. Mm. And I get it as a parent, like what a shitty position to be in where it's like our daughter was traumatized We're literally here because she was just in a car accident, which she has to completely overlook. That's scary as shit for a kid, you know, serious enough Mm -hmm. that both parents had to be in fucking surgery. But fuck that. If they hadn't got into the car accident, they maybe never would have found out about Holly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. A lot of stuff to take in. It's a lot in a short amount of time. That's a lot in the first 13 minutes of an episode. So, yeah. So mom and dad are like, fuck, man, this person killed a kid and our daughter is the only thing that's going to move you guys to the next step. Yeah. I guess we don't have a fucking choice. In Holly's evaluation, Holly's coloring with glow-in-the-dark crayons because there's no other way she could see what's in front of her. It's fucking dark (laughs) as shit in there. She finishes the picture she was working on and hands it to Hendrix. Immediately. Here's a picture. What should I draw next? I'll draw nine. (laughs) Hendrix asks her to draw herself doing something. The doctor is doing super great about being vague as shit with that (laughs) request. I don't know. Draw Draw yourself yourself doing doing something. something. I don't know. That's the way if Darla was drawing and I was sitting there with her working or something just to hang out. She's like, what should I draw next? Draw yourself doing something. I'd love to see that. As Holly starts drawing herself underwater welding or whatever the fuck, (laughs) Dr. Hendricks... Dr. Hendricks is talking about the picture she just finished. So this is your mom and dad. Her grandma and grandpa are also in this picture she drew. Holly's staying with her grandparents while her parents are in the hospital, but she doesn't love it because it smells like cat pee there. She asks if Hendrix likes cats. And I really relate to the doctor because she makes a face and goes, I'm more of a dog person. Mm -hmm. Even though Hendrix told her to draw herself doing something, Holly drew a house instead um, because she can't follow fucking directions. Just kidding. But she she just drew this whole ass, this big old house. Okay. The doctor checks it out and asks Holly if that's her house. Cut to over Holly's shoulder. She's 40 seconds into drawing a perfectly to scale full page illustration of her cousin's house. (laughs) Lily and 
Annis Dobbins. They live across the street. Fucking artistic crossfade mm. from the drawing to the actual yes. house, which is an exact replica to scale. <laughs> Holly's nine. <laughs> it was pretty wild. <laughs> I laughed. I did one of those because <laughs> it was so dumb. So crossfade to the house. Now we're at the house. This is her, quote, cousin's place. The parents, Julie and Mark Dobbins, are outside talking with detectives. She's in a puffy vest and gloves tending to flowers. He's in a mob guy tracksuit for who knows what. He's doing something else. Mom Julie tells Detective Benson that she and Sonia are close friends from college. They're actually not related. They're just Mm -hmm. Aunt Julie and Uncle Mark. Yeah. Mark tells them that Holly is at their house more than she's at home. All signs point to I have to watch The Good Son. This dude plays the dad. <gasps> That's where I recognized him from. Yeah. All signs being that I thought of it recently and now I saw this and I'm like, mm. <laughs> Julie says that Holly came to her recently about someone teasing her in class. That's kind of the only thing that she's shared. Now we're back at Holly's evaluation with Hendrix. Holly says she likes school, but she especially likes art class. She drew her house, but one of the rooms has the shades down because I guess the person inside wants to sleep. That's what she says. She goes on to talk about art class and her favorite teacher. She's like, guess which class it's from? It's art class. I love kids and how much they love art class. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, man, I wish I could show you this kick-ass tiger I painted. And Hendrix is like, I want to see it. Cut to Holly's school. We're in the fucking art classroom. Munch and Toot speak with the art teacher, who, by the way, was an absolute babe of a woman. Mm-hmm. She shows them the tiger that Holly painted, and it actually is pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that's right. This art teacher, she played a lead role in this show called The Haves and the Have-Nots. I remember it because it was on Oprah's network. Never heard of it. When OWN came out, uh, the Oprah Winfrey network, I was still Mm -hmm. like very much like, oh my God, fucking Oprah just quit her show after so many years and now I have to watch OWN. So I watched it for a little bit. So the teacher's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you guys didn't come to look at Holly's painting. So what the fuck is going on? They ask if Holly's ever come to her with any problems or any change in behavior. The teacher says she hasn't noticed anything, but she hopes that Holly would come to her. She's so nice. Mm -hmm. But she has noticed that Holly has been to the nurse a few times in the past couple of weeks, once for a stomach ache and once for cutting herself with scissors. So now Benson's speaking with the school nurse. The nurse does not think that the scissors incident was an accident. Mm. The nurse says for the past few weeks, Holly's been coming in right after art when gym class is. She's trying to get out of going to a fucking PE. Mm. But why? I mean, I can think of a million reasons why. Right. That's a classic thing, but this is different. Back to the interview room. And I'm wondering how they are communicating. Like, how long is she in this interview room? They're walking around asking all these questions. Are they checking in by phone? It feels like Holly is in this room with Hendrix, if you're doing the back and forth of, oh, they got more information. Now she's going to ask about this. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. These are long periods of time. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like a long time for a little girl to be drawing architectural renditions of exact photographic New York City skyline pictures. Okay, back in the interview with Hendrix and Holly. The doctor asks her about gym class and she kind of stiffens up but says they play soccer. Well, what do you know? She's drawing kids playing soccer as they speak. There's a little girl over on the sidelines and when Hendrix asks about her, Holly gets choked up. She doesn't like gym. She doesn't mm-hmm. like changing for class. The other girls are mean to her. Cross fade from the drawing again to Benny and Staves on the soccer field at school. We're on the soccer field. Benny and Staves walk onto the field and stop a high schooler going to football practice. OMG, it's Matt Saracen from Friday Night Lights. 
I loved that show. This guy's had a lot of acting since, but that was such a good fucking show. I tried to watch it, but I couldn't get through the second episode. Okay, this is when we might differ on this, but I've told you this before. Joel suggested that John and I watch it. We had just finished Sons of Anarchy, so it was very dark. And he's like, you guys have to watch Friday Night Lights. So we're like, all right, we'll watch it. We're two episodes in and I'm like, what is this ABC family fucking bullshit that you suggested I watch? And he's like, keep watching it. Okay. And by the end of the third episode, I was like, oh my God, I'm completely invested in these people's lives and I'm modeling my life after this coach and his wife. It's so good. Okay. Anyway, I thought he was going to football practice at first. Turns out he's, you know, it's not football. It's like lacrosse or rugby or something. This high schooler tells them that, quote, Uncle Mark, aka Holly's neighbor dude, is the gym teacher. But he took the afternoon off because he's got a big soccer match that night. Teachers can't just take the day off to rest up for the big game. That's not how their job works. Yeah. Whatever. He's an awesome coach and he coaches this kid's team as well. Wow. Sports. This guy's really into it. Anyway, gotta run. My prediction is we're gonna see this kid again. Yep. Um, did you recognize him from Friday Night Lights? Yes, immediately. Okay, see, I didn't, I forgot that they had even talked to somebody, so I didn't mm-hmm. connect him to this at all. But in the meantime, swell that music because Benny and Stabes are sarcastically puzzled. Mark didn't mention that he was Holly's gym teacher. Back with Holly and Hendrix, the violins are screaming at the top of their lungs. Do you know that a group of violins is called a swell? A group of violins? A group of violins is called a swell. I'm just kidding. I made that up. Oh. Because I I would totally would. I would have been like, oh, wow. Why would a group of violins be called anything? Yeah. They're not living together. I know. know. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, that's weird that they have a, well, you could be like, hey, where are all the violins? Oh, oh, there's a swell of them in the back corner. Yeah, I guess, (laughs) I guess you're right. Well, that joke fell flat. Pass. (laughs) (laughs) Holly seems upset about talking Jim and Mark and him teaching Jim. She tucks her legs up into her chest and says her tummy hurts and starts rocking and doesn't want to talk anymore. She's clearly really scared, doesn't want to share any more with Hendrix. So Hendrix thinks she's getting somewhere. She points to the picture of gym class and asks if the gym teacher hurt her. So she points to this adult size figure on the sidelines. And maybe it's because I was hyper fixated on the Matt Saracen thing, but I was like, that doesn't look like the teacher. That looks like a kid wearing pads or like a uniform. First, she goes, was that the person? And she nods and she's like, was it Uncle Mark? Is that Uncle Mark? And then she starts crying and says, yes. Hendrix hugs her. That shit was intense. Mm. So it's nighttime. Uncle Mark is at the game. He's coaching. Benson Stabler fucking arrest him in the middle of the game for sexual abuse. Everybody's like, what? If this was Texas, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. They would have waited. That's from Friday Night Lights. (laughs) Okay. Mark is brought into the precinct for questioning. Stabler and Benson tell him how busy he is with coaching kids and private lessons and sleepaway camp and shit. Lots of alone time with kids, eh? So they ask him if he's ever been to Flushing Meadow Park. He's like, uh, yeah, my kids love it there, the zoo and all that shit. What does it have to do with anything? Turns out Mark was at the park the day Laura Swift went missing. Mm-hmm. He was even interviewed by the police. Mark says, yeah, and a thousand other people. Everybody was at the park. I don't know her. Why would I kill her? And Benson's like, oh, we're, we never said she was dead. You must know something we don't. Hmm? 
which I thought was really stupid. Yeah. Mark says that it was all over the news and everyone thinks she's dead. So Stabler and Benson tell him what they think happened. He kidnapped, raped, and killed Laura Swift when she threatened to tell. He laid low for a little while, then went to get another girl and Holly was perfect. She was around all the time. He looks absolutely shocked. I didn't believe that he was ever the guy. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. Right. Yeah, but he looks absolutely shocked. He says he never touched Holly. Benson thinks he couldn't get his mind off her. She's at his house every day. She's in his gym class. Mark says that she's like one of his daughters. Oh, and then Stabler goes, oh, you give your private lessons to your daughters too? Mm. And I was like, oh, and Mark is pissed and calls Stabler disgusting. Stabler does the classic thing and throws him against that fucking wall. I'm disgusting. You tore her up and she has the scars to prove it. Mm. Mark is like, I don't know what is going on here, but I want to fucking lawyer. I'm not saying anything else. Outside the room, Stabler punches a fucking locker. He punches a passing beat cop. He's like, ow, I'm just going to the break room. (laughs) Stabler's pissed at himself and he thinks he pushed Mark too hard and that's what got him to lawyer up. Oh, throwing him against the wall and accusing him of molesting every child he's been in contact with. God, I can't believe he went and got a lawyer. Fuck. Yeah. He's worried about what's going to happen to Holly when he makes bail. Cragen rolls up and says he's not going to. Two other girls from this school told their parents that Mark Dobbins molested them. And I was like, what? And then here's where I I go. I think this is like the Salem witch trials thing where all the girls lied. For a moment, too, I was like, is this going to be a thing where everybody's lying again? Can we stop with the false sex abuse allegations or the false sexual assault allegations? The storyline, please. Mm -hmm. Contributing to this fucking shit idea. I know. Cut to Cragen's office where he's fucking rolling his eyes at these moms who just found out their daughters had been molested and are rightfully losing their shit. At the time, I'm going like, they're terrible actresses, though. They're terrible. That's why he was rolling his eyes. Okay. He's like, oh, my God, I'm Dan fucking Floric. I was in the Flintstones. Are you kidding? (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) Benson asks the moms to calm down and talk to them. Yeah. They keep freaking out. But then from the very dark shadows, of the corner of the room steps a dad, a man, and asks for their help. It was Stabler. The moms, yeah. <laughs> the moms, hypnotized by Stabler's fatherly wisdom, calm down and tell them they were told by their kids. They called Holly's mom and she told them to call the cops. Cragen tells them they need the kids themselves to talk to detectives. Mm-hmm. The moms beg to just speak for their kids and let us repeat what they told us. The lady was like, they're just little girls. I was like, okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. I yeah. hate you. You're right. But you're really pretty. The one, the one with the brown hair had like cute bangs. Mm. They can't charge Dobbins with abuse unless the kids describe what happened. Mm-hmm. The accusations will only stand up in court if they give statements alone to the detectives. Yeah. <sighs> Which. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> you were like. <gasps> well. I just had a moment of that doesn't make sense to me because they just said this a couple episodes ago. Underage victims have the option of having their parents in the room, right? But underage suspects do not have that, right? So now they're saying, well, it's only going to stand up in court if we talk to them by themselves. So that I don't understand. It sounds like underage perps, it sounds like that should be flipped where like they can have their parents with them if they're suspects. It doesn't make sense. We can have a lawyer. Yeah, that's where you're going to get in dicey situations where you get a kid to say something that he didn't do because he's confused or something. I don't know. Maybe I've got it backwards or maybe these aren't real cops. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) All right. Benny and Stabes split the girls up. Benny's got Nicole. Nicole tells her she was afraid to tell, but then Holly did, so she felt like she could too. Nicole tells Benny she's best friends with Holly and Danielle, the other little girl. 
Stabler, mm-hmm. who's interviewing the other one, Danielle, tells him all three girls are in the same class. They play soccer after school. Both of the girls tell the detectives about what happened with Dobbins now. Boom, 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 back and forth. He told them he'd drive them home after soccer, but took them to his house first and abused them. He told them that he would shoot them if they told. They're telling the exact same story. Literally, they were going back and forth, finishing each other's sentences, you know, yeah. with the camera work and stuff. And I was like, mm. But at that point, it's kind of hard to tell because we're going to be skeptical and be like, mm, the story is really yeah. similar with the other one. But also, oh, this M.O. is exactly the same. Yeah. Also, when Danielle was finishing telling Stabler, the camera zoomed in so hard on Stabler struggling with this emotionally that it booped him on the nose. <laughs> Out in the squad room, Munch is on the phone being sassy and Toots is on the phone being sassy. There's lots of phones ringing. They're busy in there. Benny and Craig and walk in. She tells him they've been fielding calls and walk-ins of parents from the school who think Dobbins may have abused their kids. Mm -hmm. Benson thinks it makes sense since so many people saw him get arrested. So now it's triggered this Mm -hmm. concern. He's locked up. The kids feel safe. They go home and tell their parents. That's why maybe it's coming out. Yeah. Right. Toots has the news on hold. Pregan is captaining today, folks. Oh, here stays with an update. Holly's not doing well. She isn't eating or sleeping and is wetting the bed, which is super normal after something like this. She's scared Mm -hmm. Dobbins can get to her. Stabes seems almost disoriented as he walks up to the board covered in pictures of missing girls and cases are taped up. And I was like, oh, my God, is he going to kill another person? already but he walks up and he's like what is this it's possible that Dobbins was involved with those cases slash missing kids. They're checking out every avenue. Craigan right. wants Dobbins' face in a photo array to show each of the victims and witnesses in these other cases. Let's get this dude ID'd by others. Oh, and don't yeah. worry, Stabes. We've already got the FBI on this shit. We're on top of it, okay? They're like reassuring him through this. Yeah. Novak struts in with that sexy blue paperwork. Ah, a search warrant for the Dobbins house. It's a license to look anywhere. Stabler snatches it and yeah. Walks out. I'm gonna tear that place apart. So the gangs at the Dobbins house. Benson didn't find anything in the car. She comes out into the basement where you do see the toys and stuff because like the little girl said something about him taking her down to the basement. Mm-hmm. They need to do a search on his computer for images of child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Julie, Dobbins' wife, is watching as they search. She says that her husband was not that kind of man. Stabler tells her that the victims described the basement, his car, and she should check to see if her kids are okay. Julie says that Mark would fucking die before he hurt a kid and yells, he was never alone with any of those girls. I was here. And Stabler fucking gets like nose to nose with her and is screaming, you were right here and didn't do a damn thing about it. He's fucking screaming about how she's as sick as he is and she didn't do anything to stop it. Benson steps up and is like, dude, chill. Damn, dude. So Stabler kicks rocks upstairs to chill out. Benson follows him outside and he tells her that he's got to leave. He is losing his mind. He almost punched Julie, which I would have, I know this is terrible, but I would have loved to see that. He, <laughs> like, no, he, he's the one who fucking admitted that too. He walks out and he's like, dude, I almost I punched that lady in the face. <laughs> he says he can't do this anymore. Benson's like, dude, this is hard on everybody. It's just, you know, it's a case. And Stabler says it's never been this hard. Benson tells him to go home and get rest. He's under a lot of stress right now, but he doesn't want to because the house is empty. Remember, Kathy left him. Mm-hmm. Kath and the kids are gone. Benson tells him to call Kathy and go and fucking see her and the kids. He starts getting upset and he's saying, how do you walk away after 20 years? He like said it like five times. He's venting about all this divorce stuff now. He's got a lot. He does have a lot going on. Yeah. Toots comes out. He found paperwork from a charge in Buffalo where Dobbins solicited a sex worker. Mm. What? An adult sex worker? Ugh, I bet yeah. that has nothing to do with any of this. <laughs> 
Novak is talking to Dobbins and his lawyer in the jail. Novak brings up the solicitation charge. Dobbins claims that the sex worker came on to him. Duh. So she was 15 and was drinking in a bar and he didn't know. He's like, it, she didn't look like she was 15. And Novak's like, is that seriously all you got? So he gets fucking real. Dude, it was 18 years ago. I was depressed. My fiance left me. The sex worker hit on me and then started talking about how it was going to be like $100 for the night. And before I could say no, a drunken cop on the next bar stool jumps up and puts cuffs on me. The DA even dropped the charges. 10 years later, I'm married. I have a kid, another one on the way. And I got fucking fired and my license pulled because that one cop called the school board when he saw my picture in the paper. And then Novak says, well, you don't need a license at a private school. So a letter from the court got him the job at Holly's school because it's a private school, whatever. But he forged the letter. He says he had to do it because no one would hire him because of the arrest. He says he's getting screwed now, just like he got screwed then. Novak says, well, fuck, you're on a roll admitting stuff. Like, why don't you just tell us what you did? Don't put the girls through a trauma of a trial and we can help find Laura's body so her parents can know what happened to their daughter. Dobbins looks absolutely Absolutely fucking defeated and says, I didn't murder anyone and I didn't abuse those girls. Novak says that she's going to make sure the judge maxes out the sentence when he gets convicted. Fuck it, eh? Back at the precinct, Benny goes into the squad's summer camp bunk room where Stabler's asleep. The crib. The crib. Yeah, they're in the crib. She wakes him up because they got a call from Novak. Holly's being prepped for the swearability hearing to make sure she's able to testify and... Holly asked for him mm -hmm. because they've built a rapport. <laughs> but Stabler, for the first time that we've ever seen him, goes, I don't want to go. I'm done. He'd already been mm -hmm. like, let me sleep. Give me another hour. I don't want to. And she's like, dude, Holly wants mm -hmm. to see you. And he's like, no, I'm done. Benson, in my opinion, guilts the absolute shit out of him and tells yeah. him that he'll be another man that she can't trust if he doesn't show up for her. For the first time, he's aware of his limitations, but we're like, nope. <laughs> Holly and Stabler go into the empty courtroom and he lets her try the chair before the hearing starts. Holly's scared. Stabler tells her that he's in the chair a lot, so it's fine. She asks him about swearing and telling the truth. Holly wants to know if she'll be in trouble if she tells a lie and then starts crying. She doesn't want to get in trouble. <sighs> she told a lie. Dobbins didn't do anything to her. And this is when I go back again and I'm like, it's that kid. Mm, I still didn't even think of him. Hendricks and Stabler have a little talk at the precinct. Hendricks says that Holly may be recanted because she wants things to go back to the way they used to be, which is a good point because they've mm -hmm. made that point a few times in the past, like, fuck, even this season. Yeah. Stabler is wondering if her family is pressuring her to recant or maybe Mark Dobbins got to her. So Stabler's going to check the jail phone records to see if he tried to call her. And the other two girls are being interviewed again. Benson speaks with Nicole from before. Nicole is scared that Dobbins is mad at her. Benson asks why she thinks that Dobbins would be mad at her. Nicole says that her mom told her that he's a bad man. <sighs> Benson's like, what else did your mom say about him? Her mom had told her that Dobbins hurts little girls and she has to help her put him in jail. Oh my fucking God. Now, Cragen is talking to Danielle, the other girl, and Stabler comes in and Cragen kind of follows his lead. Mm -hmm. He asks Danielle who helps her remember what to say. And she says her mom. She keeps asking her questions about what Dobbins did and if he touched her. She originally told her mom no, that he didn't. But mom kept asking and asking and asking and she didn't want her to be mad. And Stabler makes his face like that emoji where it's got his eyes closed and his mouth straight across. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Stabler goes back to the observation area with Hendricks. So the moms badgered their daughters into saying that they had been molested after they knew about Holly. Fucking Hendricks goes, nobody could have seen this one coming. Right? I mean, she said it seriously, but it sounded almost sarcastic because I was like, yeah, that's... <laughs> 
It's true. Seemed like that's where the story was going, but uh, whatever. Yeah. So fucking Dobbin's life is ruined because of this, especially with like male teachers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Even if they're, they're cleared the fact that it was even around, they're not going to get jobs again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't know if that's true with women teacher too, but I'm just saying like, it seems like with men. I mean, I'm always eyeballing men, but mm-hmm. you know, if they're working with kids and whatever, you're extra on my radar, even if there's nothing. Yeah. Even if there yeah. wasn't an accusation, if there was an accusation, you're fucking done. Yeah. Craggan says that all the girls had matching stories and they named Dobbin. So there's no way they could have seen this coming for real. Uh. Stabler says, I bought into the hysteria. And Hendrix says, hysteria, it's like a disease. It's contagious. contagious. <laughs> See, if they had said hysteria, like I said earlier, if they had said hysteria, we would have known right away that the, the girls were lying. Ah, uh, yeah. That's true. You know what I mean? That's but true. Con- but contagious. So the real rapist is still fucking out there. Mm-hmm. Stabler wants to spring Dobbins from Rikers immediately. They need to call Novak and get her into night court. Remember that show? Night, night court. court. Yeah. <laughs> At night court, Novak asks for the charges to be dismissed. Larry, Holly's dad, is there in the gallery just looking sad. He's got crutches and shit. Mm -hmm. They were best friends, you know? The judge orders a dismissal and releases Dobbins. Larry crutches up to Mark and Julie, kind of at a loss for words. Mark is pissed at Larry for thinking he would do anything like that. Larry's in tears asking, what was I supposed to do? Somebody hurt my daughter. Mm -hmm. I didn't even believe it was you. And then two other girls said your name too. I hate this so fucking much, dude. Like it's hard and shitty, of course, but yeah, what was he supposed to do, Mark? Not believe his daughter? Don't you know that abuser 101 is being a close friend or family member, Mark? Right. But I I think this is probably one of the most real exchanges. Yeah. The guy's like, how could you think it was me? And the guy's like, I didn't want to, but my fucking daughter was molested and she pointed, she said it was you. That's so like what people would say. And then two other girls came forward yeah, and said it like, was you. What can I do? Fucking Dobbins guy is just kind of like, yeah, we just want to get back to our, I mean, he can't really fucking argue with that, you know? Right. Mark tells Larry they just want to get back to their lives and he and Julie leave. Larry tells Novak, they're never going to forgive us. We helped spread the poison. Contagiously mm-hmm. spread the poison. This is how we find out that Sonia told the other parents what happened to Holly. And that's how all of the stories were able to line up. Mm-hmm. But she like thought she was helping, which wouldn't you, you know, you would talk to other moms that you know, they're in school. Like, oh, my God, this happened to my daughter. Talk to your daughters, oh, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if our daughters were like best friends, because they said the three of them were really good friends. And so mm-hmm. she's talking. She probably regularly talks to those moms. And then she's talking to those moms mm-hmm. and is like, oh, my God, this fucking happened to Holly. And they're both in his gym class. Right. Yeah. So she's like, fuck, I'm going to talk to my kid and see what some shit, you know, mm-hmm. back at the precinct. Staves and Hendricks are walking and talking with Holly's mom, Sonia. Sonia says she thought she was warning them. She was helping them protect their kids. That's all. But she doesn't understand Mm -hmm. why Holly said Dobbins did it if he hadn't. Hendrick said it's because Holly is so afraid of her abuser, she just named the safest target. So Mark is actually Mm -hmm. an exceptionally safe person to Holly. Yes. Which is heartbreaking and sad, but like the psychology of it with kids and stuff makes sense. They were really pushing her. They all walk into a room where Holly and her dad are sitting at a table. He's begging Holly to tell them who it really was. He goes, Stabler will put him in jail. You know, this guy, you've got an amazing rapport with him that you've built. (laughs) Holly refuses to tell. She really believes she's going to be shot if she does. And she thinks that they're going to kill her dad, too. Yeah. 
she tells them he said he'll sneak out and come to our house when we're sleeping. So she doesn't understand how jail works. They're like, oh, he'll go to jail. And she's like, yeah, but he's going to sneak out and come and kill us. Mm -hmm. Staves tells mom to take Holly out to get some water and calm down. Just kidding. He doesn't sound like that. So she does. Hendrix tells Larry to take Holly out of town for a few days so that she won't be so scared. Maybe she'll be able to relax, open up a little bit. Later in the squad room, Benny, Staves, and Hendrix discuss Holly leaving for the weekend. Benson says it won't help other kids not get abused, but Hendrix is hoping it will give Holly some space to feel safe and talk. But they kind of don't have that kind of fucking time. Hendrix takes mm-hmm. a look at the drawing Holly did during the eval again. <laughs> what? Maybe she already showed them who hurt her. Good thing I looked at this again. In one picture, she drew herself without hands, feeling of being powerless, disconnected from her parents, which I think these things are all a reach. This is a child drawing a picture, but okay. Yeah. She drew herself without hands. This is what that means when you're interpreting your dreams or whatever. I shouldn't shit on it too much because I don't have a degree in this. So right. just like I can't critique any kind of psych shit. I would love to have an eval of Darla drawing herself with rainbow spider legs. Like yeah. she draws all kinds of crazy <laughs> shit. They're like, she feels like she wants to destroy everything around her, especially you. She doesn't love you. <laughs> Then she pulls up the drawing that Holly did of her house. The window's blacked out because she doesn't want anyone to see her, implying shame. Mm -hmm. The soccer picture that she drew, all the kids are playing, but Holly's by herself. The person in the uniform, the man that Hendrix interpreted her as identifying as Dobbins, isn't Mark Dobbins. Mm -hmm. In the drawing, this person is wearing a student's uniform. The abuser could be a rugby or football player. Mm. She's like... Mm. She was telling us the whole time and I didn't, I just assumed it was him. Benny and Hendrix are talking to Holly outside or at school. I don't know where they are. They're at some boat landing. They're at the docks. I don't know. Where to, <laughs> wherever they go to have a conversation. Yeah. Hendrix apologizes to Holly for not understanding what she was trying to tell them originally. And then Benny asks Holly if she remembers the drawings of the soccer game she drew. So this goes back and forth. Okay. Meanwhile, Stabler goes and talks to that older boy that was at the soccer practice from the other day, remember? Mm-hmm. He was like, oh, he's the best coach ever, Coach D. Yeah. He actually plays lacrosse. And then Staler asked him about the yellow stripe on his uniform. He's the only one that has it because he's team captain. And in the drawing, mm-hmm. the uniform had a yellow stripe on the has sleeve. Has a yellow stripe, yep. Back to Holly, Hendrix asks her if the picture that she drew of the soccer field and the guy on it that she said was originally Mark, she asked if he was a lacrosse player. And she said, yeah. Cut back to Stabler. He says to the kid, the other day when you were watching the fourth grade girls play soccer, I didn't get your last name. And this dude says, "Uh, Kevin Wilcox. And I wasn't watching them. I was practicing. Cut back to Holly. Benson says that she knows who he is and that Stabler is going to arrest him and put him in jail. And if Holly tells her his name, he's never going to get out. Back to Stabler and the kid. He says, you were practicing or fantasizing? And this dude's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Holly Purcell. She drew you. A picture is worth a thousand words, huh? Back to Holly. She doesn't want to say anything. She's crying, but she closes her eyes and holds Benson's hands and says, Kevin Wilcox. Mm. Fucking piece of shit. Wilcox is brought in for questioning. Stabler tells Kevin that Holly ID'd him as her abuser. He says that she can't seem to keep her story straight. Last week, she said it was fucking Mark Dobbins. And he's like, I don't even own a gun. Lies. Let alone many guns that would necessitate an entire (laughs) rack, (laughs) Stacy. Sorry. I already lost you. (laughs) Get the net. (laughs) Car. Okay. (laughs) Lies. 
Toots walks in, fucking plops down the gun right in front of Kevin. It was found in his car in the fucking, where is the extra car wheel? What's that called? In the spare car the thing. Spare tire. Yep. Turns out the gun is a match to the shell casing that was left on the scene of Laura Swift's murder. Stabler gets in his face and says that Luminol showed blood spots in his trunk. He's like, that's the thing about cars. You get them clean, you're going to have a couple spots up, huh, bud. <laughs> <laughs> This dude laughs and says, you're bluffing. And Toots straight face says, you're dead meat, punk. <laughs> the way he said it. Did you catch that? Yeah. He was like, you're dead meat, punk. <laughs> it was funny. I laughed. You're dead meat, punk. <laughs> yeah. Stabler tells Kevin that in prison, child molesters are at the bottom of the food chain. I like chain. how I repeat it. I was like, I wanted to say it too. <laughs> <laughs> Stabler tells Kevin that in prison, fucking child molesters are at the bottom of the food chain. Then asks Toots, how long before the other inmates find out he's a baby raper? And Toots says, mm, I'll make a few calls, a week tops. Kevin's like, you can't do that. And <laughs> fucking Toots is just making me laugh. He's like, you can't say that. And he's like, who's going to know? Stabler goes, they're going to rip your cherry ass apart. And I was like, damn, Jesus. dude. <laughs> Whoa. Unless you tell us where you bury Laura Swift. <sighs> so intense right now sorry yeah in the hall toots tells benson that kevin admitted to the abuse and the murder can you what a fucking he's like fucking a, a kid it's crazy mm-hmm. anyways they're on the way to get laura's body from the location kevin told them stabler tells benson he's going home but she tells him to stop at his desk first the kids are there with a birthday cake for him oh it's his birthday the squad room is not a big area and it's mm-hmm. four people standing around his desk with fire <laughs> with fire flickering you, fire you should you should turn around mm? <laughs> the dobbins walk out of craigan's office and i love how he's like hi kids hold on a minute they're right there and he's like fuck off i got work to do we love you hang on the reason your mom left me is this very instance hold on a second you have to wait <laughs> yeah he goes up to them so mark got fired because he forged the letter from the court and the school gave some bullshit excuse like it doesn't show good decorum for the students whatever basically it was because he's he's fucking marked now you know what yeah. i mean and they have to sell their house and move in with julie's parents they just have to get out of here they have to mm-hmm. stabler tells them he's like geez i'm real sorry <laughs> and they walk away <laughs> sorry he's sorry <laughs> Oh. Benson's like, hey, dude, your kids are waiting. So Stabler goes over and hugs them. Toyota. Remember your kids? I'm here to remind you to give a shit that your kids are here. <laughs> He's like, if I'm not looking directly at them, I don't even know they exist. I totally forget. Also, the fact that we don't revisit Stabler saying he almost punched a lady in the face and we're just going to keep going <laughs> is um, right. cause for concern uh, for me. I want to see that. I've been like, whoa. I do not. That's not the show I want to be watching. Here we go. Patty and Jerry Wetterling. Okay, no, no, no. Let me tell you. <gasps> mm-hmm. Did you say Wetterling? I did. You're doing the Jacob Wetterling? This Jacob Wetterling thing is so part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Because it was northern Minnesota. I'm sure it was for everybody, but like, um, and we, we were on the northern. Yeah. Just, I'm sure you too, like our parents talking to us about like kidnapping and we didn't talk about anything i knew the name like when i saw it i'm like oh have i read about this before and i'm like oh no i it's one of those things that i feel like i've always known about yeah it's almost like he was somebody that you knew because it was we were so young yeah i remember my dad teaching us to run in zigzags in case like somebody was gonna shoot us well and he was close to our age he wasn't yeah. that much older than us at that time and dad would be like if somebody kidnaps you and tells you they're gonna kill you run anyways because what they're gonna do is worse and i'd be like what you know because you're so young mm-hmm. but it's 
true. I mean, <laughs> like, who's going to shoot me? Like, running zigzags down the street. I mean, my mom's nerves were rattling constantly, and I didn't know why. It was fucking scary. So... This episode came out before the conclusion of this story, but there's some threads. It was a little bit of a reach, but here we go. Patty and Jerry Wetterling, a couple from small town St. Joseph in central Minnesota, were living a pretty idyllic middle-class life, raising their four kids, Amy, Trevor, Carmen, and Jacob. On the morning of Sunday, October 22nd, 1989, Jerry had taken his son Jacob fishing. He made sure they were back to watch the Vikings game that afternoon because Mm -hmm. we're in Minnesota. That evening, Jerry and Patty left the kids at home to go to a dinner party at a friend's house. They were old enough to be able to stay and keep track of themselves. I don't even know why I'm explaining that part. It it was 1989. I could start babysitting at 11. I was going to say they could be under 10 in 1989. They'd be like, all right, see you guys. I mean, they literally had a thing that said, hey, it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your kids are? Like to remind people that they're like, oh, fuck, we got to. Where are our kids? Holler for the kids to come inside. Yeah. Yeah. So the Wetterlings are at this dinner party when they get a call from their son, Trevor. He wanted to ride his bike along with his brother, Jacob, and Jacob's friend, Aaron, down their country road to the convenience store so they could rent a movie. You see, in 1989, we didn't have streaming (laughs) services. So video rental, they had to go and get a VHS tape. And at first, Patty said no, because it was getting dark. But the boys hounded her until she gave in. She's like, you have plenty to do at home. Just don't even (sighs) I could just imagine being that mom, just being her and having said yes, you know? Yeah. And she just tells him the whole deal. Look for cars. Just go there and come right back. The one thing she made a point to say is you have to ride with flashlights to make sure that cars can see you. Yeah. They go back to their dinner party about 45 minutes later. Another call interrupts them. It was the Wetterling's next door neighbor telling them to come home immediately. Someone had taken 11-year-old Jacob. The couple rushed home to find Trevor and Aaron back at the house, terrified, in shock. Then the boys tell them what happened. They were riding home from the store, and out of nowhere, a masked man popped out with a gun. He told all three boys to turn off their flashlights and lie face down in the ditch. Initially, the boys were like, we thought it was a high schooler picking on us, like playing a prank. Yeah. And then they realized it was an actual adult man with an actual gun. Yeah. So he has them lay down, face down in the ditch, turn their flashlights off. And then he goes down the line to each boy asking them how old they were. Oh, God. First, he told Trevor to get up and run to the woods as fast as he could. Do not look behind you or I'll shoot you. Okay. Trevor takes off. Ten seconds later, he tells Aaron the same thing. Mm. Cut to the two boys. They meet up with each other. They're out of range, right? And so they're like, well, Jacob's going to be coming any moment. Mm-hmm. And he never did. Once the boys realized that Jacob was kidnapped, that's when they they ran, went to the neighbors, freaking out. The next day yeah. started the massive search for Jacob. Massive search. Mm-hmm. Okay. This was nationwide. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew, obviously, like, and we're one state over a couple hours away. So this is across the board, a huge story. Mm-hmm. In another little town, 10 miles away, 13-year-old Jared Cheryl heard about Jacob Wetterling and recognized many of the details lining up with a recent trauma he had experienced. Nine months prior, on January 13th, 1989, just six days before Jared's birthday, Jared had gone ice skating with his friends. After skating, the kids stopped to get malts at a cafe not far from Jared's house. Uh, That town is called Cold Spring, by the way. Both of these towns have only a few thousand people. It's like rural, rural Midwest. Mm -hmm. That's why the boys could ride down a 
country road on their bicycles and then get to a convenience store because it's there's very little around. Yeah. Like really all the mom would be worried about is cars. Them getting hit by a car. Yeah. yeah. Or a deer coming out or something. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly, like those small it's, you know, every single person in town. Yeah. So after these kids leave this shop, they've had their malts. It's nine or nine thirty and all these kids are going their separate ways. Jared starts walking home alone. A short time later, a man wearing camouflage pulled up in a car and asked Jared for directions. As Jared responded, the man got out of the car and forced him in saying, get the fuck in the car. I have a gun and I'm not afraid to use it. Jared noticed there was a police scanner in the car. That was one thing. Mm -hmm. He actually noticed a lot of things. He wanted to try and remember every detail he could to help police catch this guy if he were to survive. And I mean, this is a Mm. 12-year-old, almost 13-year-old who's like goes into taken mode, honestly. Yeah. So he wanted to remember every detail because he's like, if I survive, I want to tell the police and I want to help catch this guy. For most of it, though, he would have to rely on sound and feel since he'd been forced into the back seat and had his eyes covered with his hat. The man drove for about 15 minutes before parking in an isolated area where he sexually assaulted Jared. He then got back into the driver's seat, drove to Cold Springs and dropped Jared about two miles away from his house, gave him his snowsuit, but kept some of Jared's other clothes. He also gave him a warning. He said, it's okay to talk about this, but if they come close to finding out who I am, I'll come find you and kill you. So Jared goes home. His parents are freaking out. He's been gone for two hours. It doesn't take that long to walk home from this fucking shop that he was at. And he lets them know what happened. They go to the police. Jared tells the cops every detail he can remember. He even fucking, I I just got chills thinking about a little kid, a kid having to do this, but he climbed into the backseat of the squad car, put his hat over his eyes, and then directed them by feel and sound to where he had been taken, Mm -hmm. which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. So they were able to find some evidence. Three days later, police had a suspect, Danny Heinrich. He'd gotten into some trouble in the past for burglary and DUIs. The cops also knew that he had a police scanner in his car. Jared was brought in to ID his attacker in a lineup then, but could only get it down to two out of six. One of them was Heinrich, but Jared wasn't certain, so they couldn't make an arrest. Yeah. Anyway, that's his whole story. He hears about Jacob Wetterling and gets fucking on one about helping find Jacob and finding the man who took him because... He really thinks it's the same guy. Yeah. He worked closely with FBI agents, giving a detailed description to a sketch artist. How old is this kid again? Uh, at this point, it's the end of his 13th year. So, Damn. yeah, this happened to him right before his 13th birthday. So he's going on 14 and he's sitting at home fucking scared, too, because this guy who kidnapped him, sexually assaulted him and then told him he would kill him is just yeah. not caught. So he gets on one about finding this guy and worked closely with FBI agents. He gave a detailed description to a sketch artist. The sketch looks like Danny Heinrich. Mm -hmm. So the cops bring Danny Heinrich in for questioning. He has no alibi for either kidnapping. They take his shoes, a hair sample, and the tires from his car. The shoes and tires are a close enough match to the impressions left at the site of Jacob's abduction that police are able to get a warrant for Heinrich's house. Mm -hmm. They go into the house. They find scanners, camo gear, which is what Jared said he was wearing when he picked him up. And Mm -hmm. they also found photos of young boys. (sighs) 
There was nothing that was cause for an arrest, though. So they left empty handed. I don't know, man. Huh? I don't know. It seems like they have a lot of stuff. It's just. But I don't know. The new year came and went. Jacob was still missing and no arrest had been made. On February 9th, 1990, the FBI crime lab matched fibers they retrieved from Jared's snowsuit to fibers they had found in Danny Heinrich's car. Police arrested him on probable cause for kidnapping and sexual assault, but they didn't really have much. It feels like it is a lot to us because of cop shows and DNA and whatever, but cop shows aren't real and DNA doesn't exist in 1990. So they have fibers that are similar or they have fibers that seem the same. And that's kind of all they can say about them, right? Yeah. If you put it that way, that it's like... They don't have the technology yet. That's a stretch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they don't have much, but they can arrest him on probable cause. And then they can have a little bit of time to gather some shit before he has to be let go. Right. What they really need is for him to confess or they have Mm -hmm. to release him. They question him for hours and... The FBI is there, so they've got all the tricks going. They come in with folders just stuffed with blank papers to make it, they put his name on it. They want to make it look like, hey, man, we got this big old file on you. They've been watching him or something. You better admit to it because we already know, but they cannot break him. He will not admit to it. He's like, no, I didn't do that. By the next day, the county attorney had to cut him loose. Shit. Meanwhile, the police keep going back to Jared to ask questions. They want to try to extract more out of him. So they're picking him up at school. They're constantly bringing this kid in. And eventually he fucking breaks. He can't take it anymore. He wants to have the answer. He wants to tell them what they are looking for, but he can't because he doesn't have it. And he falls apart. After that, his parents decided that he was fucking done and they were going to move to help him get a fresh start. So Mm -hmm. they didn't move too far. They moved to Painesville, which is another tiny town 20 miles from Cold Spring. Fast forward to 2013. Blogger Joy Baker was searching the internet for stories to give her something new to write about. She came across a story about Jacob Wetterling, the boy who vanished and got really intrigued. She dug up everything she could find on this case. She had also found some disturbing trends from a nearby town. Painesville, Hmm. the town that Jared's family had moved to. Starting in 1986, three years before Jared was assaulted and Jacob disappeared, there was a string of kidnappings and assaults in Painesville. A man would follow kids on their bikes or on foot, grab them, ask their age. His parents moved him to the town the guy lives in. Yeah. So this guy would grab kids off their bikes or when they were on foot, ask them their age and assault them before letting them go again. This was like multiple instances. Oh, this guy was wearing a like a black stocking mask thing and like it was the Mm. same MO for all of these assaults. Joy also read about Jared's assault and all that he did to try and help in Jacob's case. Joy also had a little boop just like Jared did all those years ago, and was like, I think Mm -hmm. that the Painesville attacks, Jared's and Jacob's are all connected. So she reached out to Jared to let him know. He'd always thought he was the only other kid that this man attacked, but he also believed Joy. He was like, those other attacks are dead on. The, The MO, the description of it, it was all too similar. This was also news to the FBI, the Painesville assaults. How? I, Because it's the FBI. Because they weren't. Okay, so the Painesville assaults were happening three years prior. They were a different jurisdiction. I mean, Jared was the one who connected his attack to Jacob's. Oh, man, this is this is all before like VICAP shit, right? Yeah. Or everything. Yeah. Fucking insane. So the FBI was like, holy shit, you know, back then they could have really used it because they may have been able to build a case because they couldn't make anything stick. Yeah. Jared's back in. He's an adult man. He's like, fuck, 
I'm, I'm going to help again. We got to do some shit. He immediately started reaching out to other survivors, these other kids that were assaulted uh, in Painesville. And along with Joy, he spent hours and hours researching to try and uncover more. The police were also back in. With a new light on the cold case and 2013 technology, forensics compared the DNA from a hair that had been found on Jared's snowsuit in 1989 and a hair sample taken from Danny Heinrich that same year. Boop, boop, boop. DNA, boop, match. Unfortunately, it's 2013. The statute of limitations was up in that case, which I think is bullshit when it comes to new technology. I don't know. I wouldn't know how it should be laid out differently, but they didn't have the technology. And now there is this technology. What do that you mean the statue of limitation? Oh, for the, for like. For, for Jared's sexual assault. assault. For Jared's assault. Yeah. Yes. I was going to say murder. There isn't a statute. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bunch of bullshit yeah. right there. When you get new technology, maybe it should start up again. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So like- Well, they already had the technology for a long time. If that's how they yeah. figure it out. If they're like, hey, DNA, you know, it's like, sorry, the statute of limitations ran out because we're really backed up with fucking psychos committing crimes. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, Jared got fucked over, but now he knows- Heinrich was his attacker. He knew. So all of this is stirred up. Uh, and even though they can't arrest him for Jared's assault, they have enough to get a search warrant for Heinrich's house. This DNA connection, it's like, we can we can get into his house. Yeah. In the house on July 28th, 2015, police found binders of child sex abuse images and Jeez. arrested him on that possession charge. He was charged with 25 child sex abuse image counts. Um, I don't know exactly how they word the counts now because it used to be like counts of, you know, um, child pornography or whatever, but the verbiage mm -hmm. changed. So um, 25 counts of possession of child sex abuse images. They're all pissed because, yeah, they've got this guy in custody. He's going to get locked up for that. But they knew he killed Jacob and they can't charge him for it. Like they're all sitting there going, we want to fucking get this guy for this kid's murder. The family just wants peace at this point. Mm -hmm. And the police, knowing that, just want to give that to the family. So they offer Danny Heinrich a deal that's going to make you flip your fucking desk. Do you know this? I don't remember. <gasps> they told him if he admitted to the murder and showed them where Jacob's body was, they wouldn't charge him for killing Jacob. That's right. In addition, they would drop all but one of the child sex abuse material possession charges. <gasps> That's too much. Mm -hmm. That's fucking too much. Mm -hmm. And he, it's murder. Mm -hmm. It's no. That's they didn't okay. drop all of them. They dropped all but one. It doesn't matter. They dropped 24 of them. So 27 years after Jacob was taken, Heinrich stood in front of a judge and admitted to kidnapping and murdering Jacob Wetterling. I'm going to tell you what he told the court, but it's hard. So trigger warning for kid stuff. He told the court that after he had released the other boys, he forced Jacob into his car, at which time Jacob asked, what did I do wrong? Ugh. Because kids fucking listen to adults. Right. Heinrich handcuffed Jacob in the front seat, took him to a gravel pit where he molested him. After he had assaulted him, Jacob told Heinrich that he was cold and asked if he could go home. Heinrich had Jacob get dressed and told him he wouldn't be able to take him to his house, but would drop him nearby. Jacob started to cry, obviously. And Heinrich said this, quote, I panicked. I pulled the revolver out of my pocket. I loaded it with two rounds. I told Jacob to turn around. I told him I had to go to the bathroom. I raised the revolver to his head. I turned my head and it clicked once. I pulled the trigger again and it went off. Looked back. He was still standing. I raised the revolver again and shot him again. He left Jacob there. He returned later with a fucking bobcat to bury him mm -hmm. in a shallow grave. A full on fucking, but if you know what a bobcat is, it is mm -hmm. like real construction site shit. It's crazy how nobody saw this. It's insane. It's just nuts. Because he stole it, right? And then brought it back 
or something. Oh, yeah. So there was a construction company next door and he somehow knew where the key was. And since it was the middle of the night, he went over there, grabbed a bobcat, drove it back and used it to bury Jacob. It's so, and isn't he like the only one that he killed? Yeah. That's so fucking, I don't know why. Well, he was listening to the police scanner to like listen for when anybody was looking for Jacob. So he, mm-hmm. this kid is crying in the car, upset. I mean, this can't be the first kid that's crying with you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I'd also read somewhere that he thought he saw a patrol car. Maybe they were searching for him. And so he panicked because yeah. he didn't want to get pulled over or this kid to be seen in his car or whatever. <sighs> So Heinrich returned to the site that he buried Jacob at and found that he could see Jacob's jacket sticking out of the ground. So he dug him up, put his body in a bag and moved it to a farm outside of Painesville. In 2016, he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for the child abuse sex image possession charge. Um, The judge was like, I'm going to give you the most, the max they can give him. They're going to give him. Let me guess. It's like two months. Uh, no, it's 20, 20 years. He was sentenced to 20 years. He's currently in federal prison in Boston. If he's released once his term is served, which is scheduled March of 2033, he'll be in his 70s. But that's it. He may not be released because the plea agreement has another important part of it, right? He's obligated to undergo psych and behavioral evaluations before this March of 2033 release day. Yeah. If the courts decide that he cannot be safely released, he may be civilly committed as a sexual predator. So we've talked about that before, Mm, Yeah, where he will go from prison to a psych facility, possibly for the rest of his life. I mean, that's that's what will happen. Yeah. I mean, the guy's a violent offender. So, yeah, Jacob's parents, Jacob's parents. I know. In the documentary, I mean, because it was all over the news. Yeah. They had psychics telling him on TV shows that they were still alive, though unfamously with the long nails. Yeah. Just crazy shit. They went through a lot. But when in reality, he was dead within the hour. Yeah. And they searched 27 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I saw a thing where his mom was talking about, like, I never stopped looking because what if, just like, what if he came home? And I was like, what? I got sick of looking or I gave up. I was never going to mm-hmm. give up. Ugh. After that, Jacob's parents created the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center, which helps families of missing children. They also helped pass the Jacob Wetterling Act, which is a subtitle of the 1994 crime bill. It established the following, which is incredible. States have to register sex offenders. It specified that sexually violent predators, SVPs, were heightened offenders And they required stricter guidelines, including address verification every 90 days. All other offenders have to do it annually. So every year. SVPs also have to register for life. And all of the others have a 10-year requirement. So Mm. are able to get off the registry sometimes. It also allows communities the ability to notify the public if deemed necessary at their discretion. These people helped create the fucking sex offender registry. That's huge. And I mean, it's it's always existed in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. Patty was on the board for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and has dedicated her life to child advocacy. Mm -hmm. And Danny Heinrich will hopefully die in prison. One thing I think I remember, uh, they never got divorced. No. You know, which a lot of times happens. And she said, quote, divorce wasn't an option. We wanted Jacob to have a family to come home to. We weren't going to let that guy take anything more. He couldn't have our marriage. Oh, 
God. And Jared, too. They got really close with Jared because he was just as dedicated to finding this guy that he had been victimized by. Mm. That's so traumatic for a kid to have to go through. But then as an adult, he's like, me and the Wetterlings are taking care of this. And they were like, he's like a son to us now. Yeah. Next week, we have season six, episode 12, Identity. A gang member is murdered, but it might be linked to a sexual assault and the victim and alleged perp are apparently not what they seem. Whoa. Whoa. Let's, 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 <laughs> holy shit. Let's watch it. Should we like talk about it? We next? should watch it and then talk. let's get together next week and we'll talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And then let's record us talking about it and let's see if anybody wants to listen to us talking about it. Mm-mm. They probably, probably don't. But let's do it anyways. All right. Um, that was dumb. <laughs> Acting. All right. <laughs> Uh, we nailed that. We did. You guys didn't even know it was. You guys didn't even know. <laughs> Forgot we had a podcast for a minute. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, all right. Barf. Please rate and review us. Email us at svupod at gmail.com. If you want to send us any little things, um, P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. And follow us on all of the social medias, Instagram, TikTok, at svupod. Get pod merch and more at svupod.com. We got a a bunch of new shirts and stuff. And join the Facebook group, svupod Elite Squad. There's also a Facebook group chat called Walk and Talk. And somebody started a Facebook group book club called single tomato and hashtag a little bit loud for all your indie pod needs if you want to find indie pods if you are in an indie pod tag it so people can find you and join the patreon we have so much fucking content so much call or text us and leave us your questions stories and comments ghost stories the number is 1-920-345-7005 again the number is one nine two zero three four five seven zero zero five. Yeah, and if you call us or text us or email us or whatever, your correspondence maybe in a friendship boat because yeah. we like to read your shit and talk about it for you guys to listen to. Yeah. All right. Cool. Love, right, you, love bye. you. Bye. Even everybody's the- like, oh, gay would edge us. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I fucking would too. I'd edge all of you. You hear me? It's that she can't feel safe because her abuser is still is still out there. <laughs> Casserole. Okay. Sister, remember your name. No twister. Gonna steal your stuff away, my sister. I'll keep it my eye on you. Stop it. So shake your shimmy, sister. Cause honey, Miss Shug is feeling fine. Oh, I fucking love that song so Babe. much. Babe. What? <laughs> that was so what? amazing. No, it wasn't. Shut up. That was amazing. Hmm. That's our plot. Are we trying to advance our society? No. <laughs> <laughs> we came here to fuck. <laughs> we came here to fuck. We're here to fuck dump drugs. <laughs> Take me to your leader. The fuck? (laughs) Somebody bring that satellite down. I saw a hole in it. (laughs) I got paper clips all over my shirt. (laughs) To our Elite Squad patrons, Nikki M, Marissa M, Rebecca D, Elkie H, Trisha S, Emily T, Katarina G, Mary D, Joshua H, Lem, Sonia W, Eliza W, Nikki B, Kaylin B, Melanie G, Andrew, Andrew. 
Miranda B, Lauren T, Katie A, Kate H, Vanessa, Lex, Shelby W, Mallory G, Boney to R, Marin, Marin, Courtney W, Ursula, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Danielle W, Jenna M, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Sam D, Nisha G, Nada M, Mac, Attack, Meg M, Casey, Abby W, Alexis J, Caitlin S, Christina D, Camille Z, Maggie D, Sin, Jessica P, Zana J, Madison H, Emily, oh, 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 we oh, oh, oh. Oh, the right stuff. What, did they make that into an Oreo song too? Did they? Is that well? Weird Al did an Oreo version of that. He's like called the White Stuff. Oh, that must be what it was. The okay. White Stuff. Yeah. First one was a sweet one. Second one was a blast. Soon I finished off the bag. Ate them up real fast. You can see it in my teeth. <laughs> I don't know any of the real words. I only know the Weird Al version. Yeah, I don't because know because that was fucking peak comedy for me when I was that age. <laughs> Remember Weird Al? Oh, he All would right. drop a new banger and you'd be like, holy shit. Dude. Yeah. When he yeah. did like the Amish Paradise thing. and fuck. Oh my God, yeah. All right. Uh, Victoria, Scout G, Melissa M, Desiree R, Lexi Y, Drew B, Monica K, KDS, Brenna T, Andrea M, Tash, Tash, Tash Jenna L H. <laughs> no, do it over. Andrea H. Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> Jenna, Al H, Andrea H, Nikki R, Aunt Sarah, Emily D, Kate H, Vern, Catherine B, Ariana, Madeline K, and Mallory J. Thanks, you guys. You're the best. Hey, thanks. thanks so much. Thanks, dudes. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Woo. 120 over 80. Thanks for watching me do 10 backflips. <laughs>